feel like I've been at many different companies in my seven years at HubSpot. We've gone from 100 million to a billion and a half in ARR. We've gone from 500 employees when I started to over 5,000 now. And the problems that you have to solve over each stage of a company's journey are completely different. Welcome to Modern Business Operations, where we talk with leaders about how ops is adapting to our modern world. Hey, everyone. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me and Mark today to discuss the rise of revenue operations. Looking forward to to getting into this topic with you. Before I I started this call, Mark and I were just talking about time zones and that he's in Denver. So what's the best and worst thing about Denver, Colorado? The best thing about Denver, I mean, is obvious thing, the mountains, they're, they're incredible. It's great to get there. On the weekends, my wife and I try to get there once a week, typically, which is really nice. We, we feel like we've got you know one of the best things in the world right, right outside our back door. So love that about it. I would say the thing that is the worst is probably the smoke in the summertime. It's gotten really bad. Uh, oh, gosh. It's hard on some days to even go outside. That's definitely the thing that we like the least about living in Denver, but everything else is pretty good. Oh, but climate change is a hoax, right? So what are we even complaining about? (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks so much for joining. For those of you who don't know, Mark Zanutis is the VP GTM Strategy and Ops at HubSpot. So the Vice President of Go-To-Market Strategy and Ops at HubSpot. And today we're going to be discussing the rise of revenue operations. The context of this conversation is around the fact that Mark has spent the last seven years of his career building out the RevOps function at HubSpot. And so in this conversation, I just want to talk about the space, how it's evolved, and how that kind of interweaves with the growth trajectory of your career at HubSpot as well. A couple housekeeping notes before we get started with our discussion. We release podcast episodes every week. And we do bi-weekly live recordings like this one where people can join in and listen live. So our next one is coming up in two weeks' time. And we'll be sitting down with Deepak, the VP of Experience Technology at Merkle, to discuss operationalizing your marketing tech stack. So that's Thursday, February 10th at 10 a.m. Pacific. If anyone's interested in joining, just visit operations.community and you can access our events from there. All right. With that being said, I want to jump into this chat. So Mark, if you if you could just start us off by giving us a little bit of background about yourself, I think for the context of everyone listening in, that would be helpful. Sure. Well, thanks for having me on, Brianna. I really appreciate it. So background about myself. I grew up in New Jersey, which is, you know, the great state of New Jersey. Everyone loves it. It's it's a great, great place. I went to college in in Massachusetts. And then after college, I actually played a year of minor league hockey. So that was my my first job post-college. And then I got into the world of data analytics. I worked a couple years for a company called Affinova, which was eventually acquired by a company called Nielsen in the market research space. So that was a lot of fun. Did that for two years. And then I've been at HubSpot for the past seven and a half years now. So it's been a a long and winding road at, at HubSpot that's been a lot of fun. So you were a semi-professional hockey player? Yeah, they paid me to play hockey. It was $600 a week to start, which was very glamorous, lots of bus rides. And then in the second half of the year, I got a $50 raise. So I was making 650 a week. 
the big thing. You know what though? <laughs> to play a sport that you love at the time, I'm sure you did. Like that's that's a dream. Yeah, control. it was awesome. It was awesome. I'm, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I gave it a shot. I unfortunately wasn't good enough to play in the, the NHL and realized that through the year, but uh, I'm glad I, I tried at least. Yeah, that's impressive. And, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people on this podcast about like how they fell into operations. A lot of people fall into the space. Yeah. It's not like a career path that they thought about in college, but this this career jump is unheard of. It's a big one. <laughs> Hockey player to, to Yeah, it's definitely different. Definitely different. But yes, I, I feel like almost everyone that I talk to in some way, shape or form kind of fell into to ops. And that's definitely true of me, too. Yeah, 100%. So let's talk about that. You've been at HubSpot for the last seven years, and you started out as a sales strategy and operations analyst. So thinking back, what kind of piqued your interest in that role? I know you're doing data analytics before that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my start at HubSpot is actually kind of funny, and, and I'll share it here. So a, a friend of mine at Afanova, my previous company, moved over to HubSpot. He reached out to me over LinkedIn and, and asked me if I was interested in the sales ops analyst job. So I ended up going through the recruiting process. I got the job. I signed the offer letter. I was super pumped. And literally the day after I signed my offer letter, HubSpot submitted its S1, which is the paperwork that you file when you're about to go public. So I'm feeling really good about myself. Did you get options? Yeah. Yeah. Which was awesome. You know, feeling good about that. It it was just about to go public. But when you submit your S1, it's the first time that the world can kind of see a company's financials. I look through HubSpot's P&L and I see that in 2013, revenue was 75 million and then the operating expenses were something like 125 million. So HubSpot lost $50 million that year. And I was like, oh man, what what did I just get myself into? (laughs) I I didn't know anything about SaaS economics or, or anything like that. And as it turns out, lots of software companies lose a ton of money upfront to drive longer term growth. And now HubSpot's worth over $20 billion. So happy ending there, but definitely a scary moment for me as I signed that offer letter and then saw HubSpot's financials immediately after. We all heard the WeWork debacle of that <laughs> IPO, so it's, it's everyone's worst nightmare. Yeah, yeah. It, it turned out well, but at the start, I was like, what did I just sign up for? But to get back to your question, I was attracted to HubSpot for a couple of reasons. One was the company itself and its values. I watched a bunch of videos of Brian Halligan, HubSpot CEO at the time, before taking the job. And he was talking about this concept of buyer behavior changing. And in the past, there was this information asymmetry between sellers and buyers. The people selling products had much more information than the people buying products. And the internet was kind of this great equalizer where the buyers were getting all of this information that they had never had in the past. So the buyers had more power. And his thesis, which turned out to be right, more or less, was that the companies that were going to be really successful were the ones that made it really easy to do business with them. So I love that concept. It really resonated with me. And I think Brian made some good points about shift in buyer behavior. And then the second reason was the sales ops job. I always knew that I wanted to either be close to teams that built product or sold product. And I'm not an engineer, so building product was out of the question. So that left me with the selling product side. And I knew I didn't want to be a frontline sales rep. And I was really interested in just kind of learning about the guts of a business and how to grow it. So sales ops was a really good fit for me at the time. And in hindsight, it was just an awesome spot for me to start at HubSpot. I feel like I'd still pull from so much of the knowledge that 
I gained in my sales ops role even today, seven and a half years later and uh, a little bit more senior at the company. Yeah. And I really like what you said about the fact that you were drawn in by the founder's sort of thesis on buyer behavior changing. I think that that's so true. And that sort of ties into the relevance of ops now where people in operations are trying to marry, you know, the people in automation and keep people involved in operations and not have it be like everything's just fully automated, right? There's a person element to it. So I think that really sort of aligns with that goal as well and that that shift that we've seen in the last couple of years too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things that I, I like about HubSpot. It's definitely, it's funny, it's built on the concept of marketing automation. That was the first product that HubSpot ever built, but it's a very people-centric company. And I think part of it is just, you know, automating things that aren't great for people to do so that you can spend time doing the things that that are more fulfilling and, and value add as, as people. So yeah, I don't, I don't think those two things are necessarily at odds with one another. 100%. No, they are the opposite of at odds with each other. Moving on from, from that first role you had, after that, you rose to the position of ops manager. So how have the operations at your organization changed from now to then? They've changed in pretty much every every way. When I started at HubSpot, the company was $100 million in ARR. Now the company's at over a billion and a half in ARR. So material changes. But in my shift from an ops analyst to an ops manager, uh, it was a really interesting time at HubSpot because we were launching a new product. At the time, we just had a marketing app. We were launching this new CRM product, which is pretty core to what we do today. And we were doing that as a small startup within HubSpot. So we had separate marketing, sales, customer success, and and ops teams. And when I say ops team, I, I mean me. I was playing that role. So I got to work in this little startup within HubSpot. And as we were launching that new product, we're also trying to figure out this new freemium go-to-market motion. At the time, we only had inside sales reps selling our product and then CSMs serving that product. We wanted to move towards a more product-driven motion. So HubSpot was going through this transition where we're going from a single product company to a multi-product company, and at the same time, going to this freemium go-to-market model. So those two changes, I would say, were real turning points in the way that we operate at HubSpot and it's made the world significantly more complex. Great business decisions, but definitely made the way that we think about operations quite a bit more complex. And when you think about a single product world, things are fairly straightforward. You have a product team, they build a really good product. You have a marketing team, they generate leads, the sales team sells the leads, and then the customer success team make sure that, that the customers retain. But then when you move to this multi-product world, the lines between those functional teams really start to blur. And our product team now is responsible not only for building a really good product, but they have a responsibility over driving touchless sales and driving activation of users in the app. Those are really go-to-market motions. And then our marketing team is responsible for generating leads, but then they're they're also responsible for engaging with a ever-growing base of customers. And our sales team is responsible for selling new business, but then upgrades. So kind of everything about our operations and the way that we think about going to market changed when we shifted to multi-product and that freemium model. And it, it really means that kind of these cross-functional connection points between teams have become more and more valuable. And those are the spaces that that I've really been attracted to over the, the past couple of years by virtue of those changes. 
Yeah, I mean, adding a product is almost like adding a company because the entire yeah. engine is different, right? Like the leads that you're bringing in are different. So you have to create new lead flows for them and you have to branch them out. And I mean, yeah, the levels of complication on the ops side are just terrifying. Yeah, 100%. We eventually rolled that CRM team that I was on into our core business. And we talked about it being like HubSpot was acquiring HubSpot. We had completely different people. We had different systems. And it was like doing an acquisition. It was it was actually pretty fascinating to bring those two teams together. And it was it was hard. It was a lot of work. And it, it made the, the business quite a bit more complex, for sure. You make all these changes at this ops manager level. And, you know, now it's been it's been seven years. And you've been at the company for the past seven years. In today's world, that level of loyalty to a company is rare. So can you just tell me about why you stayed at the role? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, HubSpot hasn't been able to, to shake me just yet, but I get this question all the time. I think it is rare and I get it from people, not just in my professional life, but in my personal life too. Why do you stay at HubSpot? And the answer I used to give people is the candy wall on the ping pong table, but you know, we're remote now, so it doesn't fly. I need to come up with a better answer. There's so much I love about HubSpot. I love our mission focused on growing small businesses. I love our people, our product. So it's a truly special place. I'm, I'm grateful to have had the opportunity to be there and played a, a small part in what's turned out to be a pretty big success. The way I think about it is I feel like I've been at many different companies in my seven years at HubSpot. Pretty much everything about the company has changed in those seven years. I mentioned we've gone from 100 million to a billion and a half in ARR. We've gone from 500 employees when I started to over 5,000 now. We've gone from that marketing app to a full CRM suite. And the problems that you have to solve over each stage of a company's journey are completely different. And I feel like I've stayed really intellectually engaged throughout those different phases and solving those different problems that pop up during those different growth phases. So I, I actually think about it as working at different companies while working at HubSpot all at the same time. Yeah, I like what you said about keeping that curiosity too, because I think a lot of people in their careers are used to or and are built for and comfortable with different stages of scale. And yeah. so to prove that you've been able to maintain curiosity and a level of growth and learning in your career as a company scaled is really valuable because a lot of people are like, I'm a startup person. And as soon as my startup gets to a certain level, I'm going to jump to the next startup. Or some people are the opposite. Some people are like, I'm corporate. I only work at public or like huge private companies. So it is impressive to stay through that series of growth. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think there's definitely startup people. They like figuring out how to get a business off the ground. I kind of think about myself as a scale-up person. I'm, Mm. I'm not someone who has the best initial idea, but I really like figuring out how to grow a good idea. And at HubSpot, I've had experience with both the the example that I talked about earlier with our CRM product was a little startup within HubSpot. We had to Mm -hmm. invent all of these systems, invented our freemium go-to-market motion for HubSpot, invented the way to measure that business. So it, it was truly kind of a group of 15 people mixed in with a company of, at that time, it was about a thousand people who were just figuring this thing out. So I, I feel like I got that startup flavor within you know, the context of a, a bigger company. Yeah, I, I like seeing the, the trajectory too. And those problems that you're trying to solve always change, which, which keeps me pretty engaged. Yeah, I mean, it, it has to, right? But especially at the ops level, just <laughs> you don't have a minute to breathe at that point. This episode is brought to you by Tonkin. 
Tonkin is the operating system for business operations, providing businesses with the building blocks to orchestrate any process with no code or change management required. Contact us at Tonkin.com to learn how you can build complex processes fast. And if you're interested in staying up to date on all things business operations, join the Adaptive Ops community at operations.community. Now that you're at the VP level, what leadership strategies have you picked up and have you made any mistakes along the way? Certainly lots of mistakes. I've had a chance to work for some amazing, amazing leaders at HubSpot from our CEO to our COO to our CCO. And I've always looked at that as an opportunity to kind of take parts of those people's style that I really like and then leave other parts that I don't like behind. And I kind of think about those as as learning opportunities on, on both sides. And then you can kind of apply those leadership lessons to your unique styles. But I do feel like there are some universal themes in there that that really have resonated with me and that I try to pass on to the people that I work with. One I would say is this the concept of clarity. Brian, our former CEO, talked a lot about how his job was to get the right people on the bus and make sure the bus is pointing in the right direction. Concept always really resonated with me. I think one of the core responsibilities of a leader is to make sure people are really clear about the future vision and where the company is going. This is really important for me in my current job where my team's responsible for thinking about the longer term strategy across marketing, sales, and customer success. So that concept of clarity is one that's super relevant for me in a leadership lesson that I took from, from the three leaders who I've worked with in my time at HubSpot. The second is running a flat organization. And I think HubSpot does an awesome job with this. It's about the best ideas and not necessarily the biggest titles. And I feel like I was a beneficiary of that early in my career. And I've gotten to pay that forward to the people that I work with and give them a real chance, even when they feel like they might not necessarily be ready. And I remember a conversation that I had with Brian where I said something like, you know, I'm not really sure what to do here. I haven't been in this situation before. And he responded back to me saying like, Mark, I've never been a CEO before. You just figure it out. <laughs> and that, that always kind of me. So I think giving people those opportunities is a leadership lesson that I try to really kind of pull forward. And then last is just being honest and transparent. And I think we all screw up and screwing up is, is really an opportunity to, to build trust by being transparent. And I think people at work really notice that, whether it's people on your team or people that you're working with, being honest about results, even when it means, you know, the results might not have been perfect. I think kind of being honest about that and transparent about that is a leadership lesson that I've learned from those leaders who I worked with and, and really stuck with me. On second part of your question with mistakes, I don't know that I have a really discreet example here, but the thing that I've struggled with the most as a leader, especially in ops, is kind of figuring out when to delegate and when to take control. As you move from an IC to a people manager, there's less of the actual output that's directly in your control and you're more influencing and coaching rather than doing and controlling those outputs. And and that's always been a tricky balance for me to strike, like when to really step in and and be more heavy handed versus when to allow my team to kind of make mistakes and find their way and trust that, you know, I've built the right team of really smart people who can sort out these problems on their own. So that's the one that I always, I've always kind of struggled with, not a mistake necessarily, but a, a constant battle. 
to speak to figuring out when to take things on and when to not. I think that that probably resonates with a ton of managers right now. Cool. Well, running a flat organization, I've, I've actually never heard that term before. And it's incredible. I love that so much. Yeah. Because running a flat organization makes the most amount of sense. And it's something that people forget all the time. And I think it almost starts at the, I mean, I know it starts at the management level, but part of it is at the employee level too. Like I went to organizations where I've just assumed that the person who's in charge of our department, what have you, is the person who is the end all be all of what we decide to do and the best ideas, et cetera. And I think that that mindset was obviously cultivated from the top, but it's just so damaging and it's so much more valuable to be able to understand that, especially like a fresh set of eyes on a problem, a new employee, et cetera, can provide so much value when you've been sort of looking at something and living in the trenches for so long. So that's something that I'll take away from this conversation. And I hope others do as well. Yeah. I I also like, talking to my team and, and we're in this cross-functional role, but I often tell them like, get out of your swim lane. Like just because this isn't your space directly, if you have a perspective on it, people in ops typically have a data-driven perspective and are in a pretty good position to have a point of view on how to move forward and share it. <laughs> and I, I think that's something that, you know, like Brian definitely encouraged me to do earlier in my career. It's kind of like, you know, getting me the data is great, but tell me what to do and I'll listen. And I think that empowerment is something that I've just tried to share with my team. And I think people in ops are just in a really powerful position within in order to recommend a path forward because you typically are fairly unbiased and have the information you need to make good decisions. Yeah, it's just rational choice at the ops level. Like there's no emotion in it. It's just like, no, this actually just makes the most sense. So let's do this. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I want to ask, how has the world of RevOps changed since you first started out as a sales strategy and ops analyst at HubSpot to now? Well, the the concept of RevOps is fairly new. It didn't really exist when I I started. And I I think smart go-to-market leaders are starting to realize that it's not just about growing sales. You kind of need all parts of your go-to-market to fit together to ultimately drive value for your customers, which then leads to to growth. So I'm happy to see RevOps as a concept catching on in the industry. I think it's going to be a growing field over the the course of the next couple of years. The other two observations I've had is one, it's getting more technical. When I started as an analyst at HubSpot, I was using a ton of Excel, doing a lot of VLOOKUPs, and I honestly wouldn't survive as an analyst in the HubSpot of 2022. The resources that we have are highly technical you know, they know how to write SQL. A lot of them know how to write Python, which just blows my mind. So the, the world has definitely gotten a lot more technical because we have more data and you need to have a technical skill set to effectively use that data. And I think the people that, who are really, really good in RevOps are the people who are technical, but also have business savvy and a perspective on how to sh- move the business forward using the data, the access to the data that they have. And then I would say the last one is it feels like the world of operations has gotten more cross-functional. And I think that's part of the reason why this concept of RevOps has caught on. But I talked a little bit about how that shift to freemium, the shift to multi-product drove this kind of more cross-functional way of thinking at HubSpot. And I think that's a trend that I'm seeing fairly consistently when I talk to other people in ops. Leaders are focused more on the customer experience and 
you know, customers don't care about your org chart. They care about you solving their problems. So I think ops is, is starting to become cross-functional and think through that customer lens a bit more. I just want to say, like, repeat after me, the concept of RevOps is new and it's not just about growing sales. I think that's so important. Like, RevOps is not just about growing sales. Anyone who works in that field understands that, but I think it's so key because it, it is about the overall workings of the organization and the, the entire revenue engine as a whole. Yeah. How can those in the field of RevOps, you know, like stay in the know? What skills should they be honing? Yeah, the thing that I like to do is staying connected to people in RevOps. And one of the things that we do at HubSpot really intentionally every year is we meet with people in RevOps from companies we admire. And we do it once a year formally. We call it a field trip. But I like to make connections with people in their spaces. And I find that the problems that people are trying to solve are somewhat different, but fairly universal. And there's just so much that you can learn from other companies who have gone through a similar journey that we're on. Like when we were moving to freemium, moving to multi-product, we just talked to companies that had a freemium model and just figured out what worked for them and what didn't and how they operationalized that. So I would say the thing that I found most effective is, you know, one-on-one or group conversations with people at companies that, that we look up to. Advice for people in RevOps, I would say early in in your career as an analyst, like learning SQL, I talked a little bit about how the world's getting more technical. I feel like that's a good thing to lean into. And then the the thing that I always think about that I think is kind of universal, whether it's earlier in your career or later, is that ability to kind of take complexity and pass down clarity. Talked a little bit about clarity too. But people in ops are typically in the weeds. They know the business. They, they have a perspective on how to move something forward. And I think the people that are really good in ops can take all of the complexity that they have in their heads, frame up a problem, and then make a clear recommendation to their leader. So I feel like communication is a skill that I'm always trying to hone. I'm, I'm working on it with my team all the time. And I think it's just increasingly important. And I've, I found it to be increasingly important as HubSpot's gotten bigger and there's just more people that need to be aware of, of what we're up to and what our, our vision is to move the company forward. Yeah, and with remote work as well, right? Communication is so key because you can have all these meetings and conversations and in a silo, in a Zoom meeting, and then half the company doesn't know about what's happening. So it's just, yeah, I mean, yeah. those little things are so key. So before I, I let you go, any predictions for the future of RevOps? I'm bullish on RevOps. I think RevOps is going to continue to, to grow influence at a company and really have a seat at the table in, in making big decisions. And I feel like some people think about you know folks in RevOps as people who are in the passenger seat. They're you know pulling reports, building systems. But I do think that as the field kind of matures, there's going to be this paradigm shift and, and people in RevOps are going to increasingly be in that driver's seat rather than the passenger seat. People in RevOps know the data, they know the business, they have an unbiased point of view. And I think smart leaders listen to people in RevOps. So I'm, I'm bullish on it. I've seen the power of it at HubSpot. I would say our RevOps teams certainly are front and center in terms of driving decisions in partnership with, with the leaders on, on marketing, sales, and customer success. So I, I continue to be bullish on RevOps. I think that's going to keep moving in that direction. And then I feel like there also needs to be some company 
I'm hoping it's HubSpot that kind of invents the RevOps playbook. When I talk to people in RevOps, it means many different things to many different people. There's different ways of structuring it. I feel like someone's going to kind of figure it out and say like, hey, this is what works. And I feel like that hasn't necessarily been the case to this point. Again, I hope it's HubSpot that that shares the, the playbook with the world, but I think someone's going to do that. Well, shoot, Mark, it sounds like you need to do it. <laughs> maybe, maybe. In a year, we'll, uh, we'll be talking about your new book, The RevOps Playbook. Can't wait. <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for taking the time to talk about this field. And I know it's something that a lot of people in the adaptive ops community are passionate about. So thanks to everyone who listened in live. And before I let you go, what's the best way for people on the call or listening in to get in touch with you? Probably LinkedIn. Yeah, I think that's the easiest one. All right. Look up Mark, VP of Ops at HubSpot on LinkedIn, and you can chat with him there. We'll also make sure he gets in the Adaptive Ops community so you can find him on Slack there as well. And thank you so much, Mark, for taking the time. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. All right. Talk to you soon. Everyone have a great rest of your day. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Modern Business Operations. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at tonkin.com slash mbopod. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. 